Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 461. It's titled, How Much Should Your Net Worth Grow Each Year? This was a topic suggestion from my son, Brett, who was inspired by his annual review of his spending. Now, I didn't know that he reviewed his spending annually. It's something that I've done, but I've never told our children, you should look at your spending on an annual basis. Brett was going through that analysis and was wondering, well, how's he doing? He and his partner, they know how much their net worth grew, how much they spent, how much they saved, but they want to know, well, what should the split be between savings for houses, retirement, pension, or cash? We just went through the same process and looked at our annual spending. I used to use Mint for that, and I had used Mint for over a decade, but Mint shut down. So now we use Monarch Money, which is one of the sponsors of the podcast, and it works great. Our budget, though, it it isn't a rigid budget. So each month we'll look at the spending. I'll look at the spending from Monarch Money, and then I'll take that, that monthly expenditures, and I'll put it in the spreadsheet for that month, and then kind of true it up at the end of the year to see, well, how did we do? This spreadsheet goes back over a decade, and surprisingly, our spending hasn't really changed dramatically. It's generally over $100,000 and less than $200,000, not counting income tax. And the categories aren't that different. So if we look at last year, 72% of our spending was really five categories. Our highest category was travel, 18%. Charity was 16%. Shopping, which would be anything that we bought apart from food and restaurants, was 14%. Expenditures on uh, our mortgage and property taxes, about 14%. And then food and restaurants, 11%. What I have found is, is generally, even as our net worth grows, and and especially as our net worth grows, we should get to a level of spending that we're comfortable with that doesn't necessarily keep growing and growing each year in terms of wanting to buy more and more and more. The the lifestyle that LaPro and I live is not that different than how we lived 20 years ago. We do travel more, but we don't travel extravagantly. Back when we were in our 20s, I was a newly minted MBA. I remember standing in front of the world headquarters of NCR, my first corporate job. Had my briefcase, brand new briefcase, standing there thinking, I guess I'm grown up now. And I went and worked for, uh, for NCR. I spent a couple years as a credit analyst and then a year as a planning manager. But my focus wasn't on how much my net worth was growing each year. It was more focused on how do I get my income higher so that we can pay down our debts. We had student loans. During that period of three years, we bought our first house. We got the down payment for the house by selling a car to my parents. We had a second mortgage to help pay for some remodeling of that house. And it seems like at some point I took out debt for a gym membership, which LaPrell said don't do, but I did. And, and it's possible that second mortgage paid off for that consumer debt, which too high of interest rates for for purchasing a gym membership. During that period, we were saving. We were were in corporate finance. 
I was contributing to our 401k, but the focus was on income and the focus was on lifestyle. What lifestyle do we want for our family? Where do we want to live? Did we want a, a yard with a garden? How many hours did I want to work? I, I sp- specifically remember being at that first job, corporate finance, observing how much people work. And as the planning manager, I actually I got access because I did the budgeting for our division. And so I saw what the president of the division made and what my boss made. I, I saw what everyone made and I saw how little I made compared to some of them. But I was also surprised that, that some didn't make as much as I thought they would make in corporate finance. And so lifestyle became pretty important to me. I wanted to be home on the weekends. I met an acquaintance that came to our division that had worked in another area of NCR in the accounting consolidation division. And he mentioned just how many hours it was and that he would travel and go to one of the satellite offices and work so many hours and be there all week and how homesick he got for his family. And I realized after several positions at at NCR that I get restless, I get bored. And I I could have stayed in corporate finance and just sort of moved to the next position, but it would have required moving a lot, uprooting my family. And that's where I decided, well, I'll get something in the investment arena, the financial markets. So everything is moving around me. Markets are changing, and then I don't have to move all the time and hopefully find a position where the hours are reasonable. About that time, I read an article by Peter Drucker, who was a management consultant, educator, Austrian-American, born in 1909. He died in 2005. He wrote an article, and I could not find the article, but he was talking about different work environments and whether you are working for a a very big organization, and he might have called it an elephant. It was some big animal that it's just, it's harder to get ahead because of the bureaucracy. And I could see that at, that at NCR. I mean, there are some that, that get ahead and get into senior management, but most do not and just continue working in, I guess, middle management. The alternative was to join a small company where there was more opportunity, where you could create opportunity. And that's what I decided to do. I joined a firm, FEG, small advisory firm. It was on when I joined in the mid 90s, it had only been around six or seven years. I was the 29th employee. They, they'd done well, but I took a 30% pay cut. I joined FEG at the same salary that I had when I joined NCR three years earlier. And at the time, my net worth would have been well under $100,000. i am sure it was less than $50,000 at the time. And I was 30. I didn't, I didn't have much assets, financial assets. I had human capital. I had a desire to grow, to learn, to contribute. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from a returning sponsor to the show, Shopify. If you're running a new or existing business, I can't think of a better partner than Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow, whether you're selling shipping supplies or clothing. They can help you sell everywhere with their all-in-one e-commerce platform, as well as in-person POS system. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
When we order from an online store and we see that they're using Shopify, that gives us a great deal of confidence that we'll get our order and we'll get it on time. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., including the clothing store of some good friends of ours and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash david, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash david now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash david. When I had been at FEG for three years, I had the opportunity to purchase ownership in the company. But prior to that, after a year and a half, I almost left again because I had taken this big pay cut and I just wasn't getting the raises that I want. Again, I wasn't focused on net worth. I was focused on how do I increase my income? And I wasn't increasing it at the level I wanted. So I thought, I'll just start my own firm. And LaPrell's father had passed away and we were ready to move from Ohio out west. But I was filling out my ADV, my forms you file to the SEC. I was ready to file them. And two senior consultants at our firm left. And they had the bulk of the clients. And, and so there was a mad scramble to go after those clients. And, and the founder, Fred D- Diamond, and I went on many, many meetings to, to Texas, Florida, to New Orleans to try to save these clients and so they didn't leave with this other consultant. And most stayed. Like I think all of our clients stayed, at least the ones that I worked with. And I immediately got a 50% raise. And a year and a half later, I was offered ownership. But I still didn't have much, much net worth at that time, net worth less than $100,000 to borrow $5,000 from my parents to buy ownership in FEG. I got on our executive committee. And, and as part of that negotiation, when those senior consultants left, I got our founder to agree to let me move out west, which we did in 2001. But all through that time, once they saw how their net worth could be impacted by people leaving, it was an eye-opener to them. And they realized that they had a, a huge amount of the net worth in this illiquid company. And that's when they made the decision. They wanted to, to monetize their hard work of more than 10 years. And we spent three years trying to sell that firm, which we eventually did in 2002. And I, I turned a $5,000 investment into about $400,000. I own 2% of the firm. But I had kind of a reputation of being restless. I, I was no longer on our executive committee after we sold. We moved to Idaho. I was telecommuting. There was a time that I approached my colleague to see if I could work part-time and pursue other projects. I was building websites. I started a blog, writing on the internet, blogging, building websites. I Back in 1999, I read a book by Harriet Rubin called Soloing, and it was about doing projects and working for yourself. And so I spent this time in a big company, and then I was in a smaller company, but I wanted to work for myself. I'd never done that other than in high school. I had all kinds of little entrepreneurial gigs that I did, never making very much money, but I, I like the freedom. So again, when we talk about net worth, that's just a number. What we really need to focus on is what is the lifestyle that we want? And is there a way to create that lifestyle today, even as our our net worth grows over time? What does it take to create the lifestyle that we want? How much income? After I'd been an investment advisor 10 years, my business partners and I had the opportunity 
to purchase back our investment advisory firm. And this is after I'd been running a a portfolio. I was a chief portfolio strategist of a, an investment product that a few of my colleagues and I had developed. And it was doing well, had a, a very good track record, partly because timing was right. Emerging markets were doing super well. Small cap stocks were doing very, very well. We were overweight that. And so we were meaningfully outperforming our benchmark, and that was attracting clients. And this was also a time where clients, endowments, and foundations were much more interested in, in outsourcing the management of their assets to an advisory firm, to where the, the investment committee wasn't making the allocation decisions. It's called outsourced asset management, outsourced CIO. And we started that product, that track record, a partner and I put up $50,000, I guess, 25 each to, for this track record. And, and that was most of my net worth, liquid net worth going into that track record of that product that we developed that did well and started to attract clients. So we're running this, and then my other partners decided that they wanted to buy back the firm. We had the opportunity to buy it back for half of what we sold. But then there was a negotiation, well, what percent should everybody own? And how much should we get paid? We were already getting a percent of the revenue for the product that we developed. I think it was 10% of the revenue. And it was a challenging decision. I decided to stay and committed. And as part of that, we borrowed millions and millions of dollars, over $10 million to buy back this firm. And that's where I found this spreadsheet of my net worth because we had to sign personal guarantees for this bank borrowing that we were doing. And so every year I had to fill out this spreadsheet. So at the time we bought back that firm, I was still spending about what we do now. It was, looks like I spent $108,000 in 2004. And my net worth was around $600,000. Most of it was from the proceeds of having bought the firm and selling it three years later. And I put a third of that net worth, $200,000, back in to FEG as we bought back the company in a very leveraged fashion. We filled out that spreadsheet every year and I was able to see my allocation. At the time, I was 94% in stocks. This was liquid assets, so not including real estate, 6% in cash. And you could see every year from 2005 to early 2009, my allocation to stocks kept going down. It was 88% in 2006, 76% in early 2007, 68% in 2008. And by then, because this was a highly leveraged transaction, the company was doing well. Our track record was solid. We continued to bring in clients. We were raising fees on existing clients. My net worth exceeded a million dollars for the first time. And then the great financial crisis hit. And before that, that spring of 2008, I completely got out of stocks. So by early 2009, I had only 6% in stocks. And I kept my allocation to stocks basically single digits or less from early 2009 until I left FEG in 2012. And the reason why is because I realized that that my profession, I was a stock. I was in a profession that was tied to the success of the stock market. And I was highly leveraged personally in that business that's investing in primarily in stocks and other risky assets. And as a result, 
I shouldn't be compounding that risk by keeping my personal portfolio primarily in stocks. So, so at that point, it, it was bonds, cash, and real estate. We were, LaPro and I were, were buying homes, we were fixing them up. She was handling most of that. But that's a, another aspect about our net worth. The growth of our net worth depends on our profession. Riskier professions will have a more volatile net worth because there's no guarantee. I often look back on the decisions we made to leverage up the firm, buy it back, launch a product. Track record could have gone the other way. It might not have been successful, and our net worth would have been a lot less. We get one shot at this as we go through time. And so recognizing your net worth will fluctuate based on your career choice. Nassim Nicholas Talib mentioned this in Fooled by Randomness, which, which I read over the break, and he talked about the distribution of wealth outcomes for a dentist much narrower versus, let's say, an actor, or even, let's say, I would say corporate finance is probably a little more predictable, but that's a key component. Luck. Luck can play a role. How much income your profession takes and how steady that income is and what opportunities are presented. And so when we say, well, how much should our net worth grow each year? kind of depends on your profession and, and the lifestyle you've created. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. At the start of the new year, every small business owner is asking themselves the same question. What's the one move I can make that'll take my business to the next level in 2024? LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success all depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster, and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. I know in our business, we've seen how critical it is to have the right team member, and LinkedIn can help with that. Twice small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn also knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. Post your job for free at linkedin.com David. That's linkedin.com David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. In 2005, I read an article by Peter Drucker in the Harvard Business Review called Managing Oneself. And Drucker wrote, we live in an age of unprecedented opportunity. If you've got ambition and smarts, you can rise to the top of your chosen profession, regardless of where you started out. Now, you can rise, but there's no guarantee you will rise. And he talked about that as knowledge workers, we have to be our own CEOs. And so he had a series of questions, which I think were important. And I read that article in 2005, and I, and I asked myself the questions I'll, I'll read to you here. And you can ask yourself the same questions. What are my strengths? I think around that time, maybe Strength Finder, the book came out. But it's important to know what your strengths are. And how do you perform? What environment do you work best in? How do you learn the best? Are you be do you learn best by reading, which I do? Or do you learn best by listening? Another question Drucker asks is, what are, what are my values? That will help determine how you make an, an income and how much your net worth, how much you want it to grow. At some point, people can just stop and say they had enough, which is what I did in 2012. I hit my number and I knew that, all right, 
with this amount of wealth, I'd be fine. Not super rich. Still going to have to figure out how to make an income because the, the nest egg wouldn't last for 40, 50 years. And it didn't want to put that type of stress on my portfolio. But reading an article like this back in 2005, I was already thinking about these things. In this piece, he talked about second career, second life. I'll get to that in a minute. But his other question was, where do I belong? Like, what type of organizational fit? And that's something that I dealt with throughout my, my career. I worked for a big corporation. I worked for a small corporation. I have worked for myself for a period of time. Now I have business partners again, and we're building a, a business with Asset Camp. And then the final question is, what should I contribute? What do I want to contribute? Drucker mentioned in this article how, how it's very, very difficult to plan out more than 18 months in advance. At, at our company, we have a budget for the year. We have some things we want to accomplish, but we don't know how things will unfold over the next year. It's hard to plan out that far ahead, which is why you, you need that, that flexibility. In that piece, Manage Yourself, there was a section called the second half of your life. And he talked about, again, this is the mid-2000s, how for most people, they did manual labor. And he said they were lucky enough to survive 40 years of hard work in the mill or on the railroad. And that back then, or even today, people can have careers of 50 years or more. He writes that 45, most executives have reached the peak of their business careers and they know it. After 20 years of doing very much the same kind of work, they are very good at their jobs but they are not learning or contributing or deriving challenge and satisfaction from the job. And yet they are still likely to face another 20, if not 25 years of work. That is why managing oneself increasingly leads one to begin a second career. That's exactly where I was in the mid to late 2000s. We had bought back the company in a leveraged way, and it ballooned my net worth, which was illiquid, but I couldn't see myself staying another 20 years. Until I retired, I just, I, the, the thought of it frightened me. I, I would have been so bored. Maybe not. I don't know. I just, I, but I couldn't do it. And that's why I left in 2012. And I'm glad I did because of the 10 years I've had, 12 years now being on my own. But even then, just the other day, I was looking at, thinking about one of my pension fund clients. And I would, I would go, this was an industrial firm, and I'd, I'd meet with them a few times a year, and we'd sit around the board. And these were corporate finance people, the CEO, CFO, senior people. We'd make decisions on, I'd recommend decisions on pensions. And I just remember sitting around the conference table thinking, well, this could have been my profession, corporate finance. And I would would sit there and watch just how people aged because I'd worked with them a number of years. I could see these guys are getting older. One of the guys retired this past year uh, as a CFO, and he joined the company about a year after I started working with them and has been there 20 years and arose to be CFO and has a net worth now, primarily from this company stock, of $40 million, much higher net worth than, than I definitely ever have. There was a part of me that felt a little jealous. Like, well, gosh, how would I live if I had $40 million of net worth? And I realized, well, not that differently. We might stay in nicer hotels when we travel, but I, I, we would kind of you kind of get this set lifestyle, and we and that's how we would live. Now, Lepro, she would like to do more housing projects, remodels, and have the capital to do that. So let's just think about 2023. How much should your net worth have grown based on how the financial markets did? We have model portfolio examples of money for the rest of us plus. We update 
the performance of those portfolios on a quarterly basis. We have adaptive models, which are more diversified. They tend to be less volatile, less interest rate sensitive, higher cash flow. And we have some static portfolios, which are just made up of VT, the Vanguard Global Stock Market ETF, and BND, the Vanguard Total Bond Market ETF. And if we look at those portfolios, 2023 was a good year. So if you're just thinking about your liquid investments, the ultra-conservative portfolios did around 8%, moderate portfolios did around 13 to 14%, and aggressive portfolios, which would have upwards of 75% stocks, returned 16 to 19%. So your net worth last year, not counting additional savings, your portfolio is probably up anywhere from 8 to 20%. Our net worth increased just around 8% because, again, we're conservative investors. We're, we're, despite last week's episode on retirees or near retirees should have their investments all in stocks, I can't do that. I am much more cognizant of volatility drag. For example, 2022 was a very, very difficult year for investment markets. Stocks were down 18%. Bonds were down 16%. And as a result, if we think about these portfolio, two-year annualized returns on these models, a diversified portfolio, our static portfolios haven't made up those losses yet. If you just had Vanguard total stock market ETF and the Vanguard bond market ETF in any weight between the two, you're still underwater for the past two years. Three-year returns are in the low single digits. Our, our adaptive models, the more aggressive ones, are, are positive after two years. The more conservative ones, because the bond market in 2023 returned 6%, after, after the bond market lost 16% in 2022, now our, the, our adaptive bond portfolio did much better than negative 16% in 2022. But it's been a, ch- a challenging couple of years. We, had a, we think about the past four years with the pandemic and the way 2021, very strong returns, and then 2022, very negative returns. There's, there's been some volatility. And so when we think about net worth, my goal is I don't want a volatile net worth at this stage of my life. I want it to compound and grow more than our spending to maintain its purchasing power. But at this point, I don't have the stomach for it, nor do I have the time to make up if things don't work out well. I'm not going to take a third of my net worth and invest it in a company in a highly leveraged way like I was willing to do 20 years ago. And that's why figuring out what our net worth is 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 so challenging. It depends on your life stage, how much human capital you have, what is your career, how much of a risk taker are you, how much leverage do you want to use, what lifestyle do you want, and recognize the role of luck. That if you want to take on more risk, I think it's perfectly fine, particularly when you're young, to have a volatile net worth, but make sure there's a backup plan and make sure you've defined kind of the lifestyle you want and how can you get that today. So maintain your flexibility, your optionality, be able to make choices. Don't spend a whole lot of time comparing what your net, net worth is to others. Just focus on the lifestyle you want. In conclusion, then, there isn't one answer to how much your net worth should grow. Ideally, it is growing because you're saving, you're building up a buffer, you are investing assets, you're seeking to increase your net worth in a compounding way. But how volatile it is depends on your career choice. It depends on the lifestyle you want. And so focus on creating, getting better, increasing the quality of your output, 
That's all we can do. We can create and release it. And beyond that, there, there is an element to luck and recognizing opportunity, but there are no guarantees. That's episode 461. Thanks for listening. You may be missing some of the best money for the rest of us content. Our weekly Insider's Guide email newsletter goes beyond what we cover in our podcast episodes and helps elevate your investment journey with information that works best in written and visual formats. With the Insider's Guide, you can discover actionable investing insights provided only to our newsletter subscribers. Unlock greater investing confidence with high-value snippets from our premium products, plus membership and asset camp. Access exclusive news, offers, and events you won't hear about anywhere else. Further connect with the Money for the Rest of Us team and community. And when you sign up, we'll also send you our exclusive investing checklist to help you invest with more confidence right away. The Insider's Guide is the best next step to get the most out of your investment journey. If you're not on the list, go to moneyfortherestofus.com and subscribe with the Become a Better Investor sign-up box. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.